Hello and welcome to the St. Mark's podcast. Whether you regularly join us at church on Sundays or you're joining us for the very first time, we hope that this week's talk inspires you and draws you closer to Jesus. Thank you, Ben. So, yeah, patterns. We're, uh, we're looking at patterns. And I, um, I've enjoyed the series so far, but at the same time, I'm aware that it can feel like a lot of things. Um, you know, uh, we hear about these patterns week by week and we think, all oh, right, so I've got to form a pattern in my life and then I've got to form a pattern of Bible reading in my life and then I've got to form a pattern of prayer in my life and then I've got to do Lectio and then you might start thinking, oh goodness, what else are they going to ask us to form a pattern of in our life? All of these things that we've got to do, I've got to do the Bible reading, I've got to do the prayer and I've got to do this weird thing that Joel talked about last week. So many things to do and I can understand um, that feeling and what I wanted to say into that feeling is that these patterns are not um, a checklist of tasks that we need to do. This is a heart thing. A pattern is a shape um, for the way of being in our life. It's not doing, it's about being. It's not meant to be a burden to shape a pattern in your life. It's meant to be a joy. It's not a business or an admin thing. It's a personal thing. It's not meant to be a religion, it's meant to be a relationship. And it's more than that as well. It's, it's actually um, God who is the one who wants us to form a pattern because he wants to be in relationship with us. He's not asking us to do jobs that he ticks off his list. Um, and there's a famous painting that illustrates exactly this. Um, and it's the creation of Adam, which is on the Sistine Chapel, uh, Ruth, and it was done by uh, Michelangelo. Or, you know, just in case you think I'm some kind of art nerd, I googled naked man church roof finger. <laughs> and I got it. Google knows me so well, that's what it gave me. But I do have safe search turned on as well, so. So yeah, the man on uh, the left, the naked man is Adam, it's supposed to be Adam, and the man on the right is supposed to be God, the Father. Um, and what's really interesting about this painting is Michelangelo was symbolizing something to us. And if you zoom in on the hands, you can see that God is reaching with all of his body and stretching his fingers to try and initiate a relationship with Adam, and Adam is reclined, naked, don't know why, but he's reclined and he's barely offering a finger. He's barely lifting a finger. And God is trying to relate to us. God wants to reach out to us. And all we have to do is just lift a slight finger of developing a pattern in our life. And I promise you, it is a joy, not a burden. And knowing that relationship is something that will change you because knowing Jesus um, changes us. Being drawn closer to Jesus, being changed into his likeness so our lives begin to reflect it is a great thing. But it's not just in art, it's also in the Bible. Um, if you 
go to the beginning and you look in Genesis, um, there's a moment um, where God is walking and talking with Adam and Eve um, in the beginning. He it didn't say he brought them to a place and he sat them down and he lectured to them. It didn't say he asked them to do some pruning um, and take care of everything. He wanted to walk and talk with them. And then if you flip to the New Testament, Jesus is our best model, our best example, and what do we see him do with his followers? He walks with them, he talks with them, he eats with them. All he does is spend 24-7 with them for a number of years. That's what he does. He's relational. He wasn't disappearing and then telling them to come and clean some floors. He was relating with them, who is spending time with them. So that's what these patterns are for. They are for relationship. They are ways to know Jesus. And today, uh, we're going to look at patterns of encouragement. And why I'm excited to talk to you about patterns of encouragement is because it is the least to-do list-like pattern. Um, But it also zeroes in on what patterns are like, ways of being, ways in which, as a church, we become more like Jesus. And also because the pattern of encouragement is a pattern uh, that has shaped me into be the person that I am. So we'll look at patterns, and uh, we are going to look at uh, what does the world say, um, we're going to look at what does God say, and what does it look like. So all of those things about encouragement. So what does the world say uh, is our start for 10, and is a bit of a dramatic title, because... I actually am just looking at what the UK, we're, we live in England as far as I know, um, let's look at what, what does the UK say about encouragement, what does it feel like um, in uh, our country and I think, and you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're a funny little winning obsessed nation. We. We like winning at things. Um, I don't think we see much encouragement in our, um, in our wider society. There are, there are cases and there are um, situ- lots of things that are encouraging. But on the whole, I'd say we're more competitive than encouraging. And, and competition does a really funny little thing. You've seen it roll out a couple of times um, in the last couple of years. I don't know if you remember... Um, when they were rolling out the vaccine, they were like, we're going to have a world-beating vaccine rollout. World-beating. And I was like, why do we want to beat the world? It's a pandemic. The whole point is the whole world needs it. Otherwise, it just keeps mutating and getting worse. Why do we need to beat the world? We just need to do it well and then maybe tell people else how to do it well. A less serious one would be Eurovision. I don't know if you watch Eurovision. I don't. But I do know that we got so upset about losing year on year that we basically just gave up. We were so annoyed that we couldn't win that instead of viewing all these people as our friends in Europe, we were like, ugh, it's all political. Send them that weirdo and see if he does any good. No wonder we got no points. We were sending the worst. That's harsh. Not the most talent. Like, we should have sent Adele. Then we'd win. No, until last year, where we did actually send someone who was quite good, um, but he didn't win. But you can see, we gave up on it because we were obsessed with winning. Competition turns us into competitors, and we don't like the other people because we want to beat them. 
And it's not just something that we see in society, it's something I've seen in my own family. I grew up in a family of four boys. Um, I'm three of four, they reached perfection and decided for another one, don't know why, but... <laughs> see, they're already competitive. I grew up in a family of competitiveness. Um, my dad led the way. He's a great man, but he led the way in competing with us constantly. He was like, I was married by this age. And my own house by this age. And I'm like sitting there crying into my serum. No, he, he led the way in the competitive environment. And all of my brothers, um, we were competitive. I, I, I didn't let my younger brother hang out with me and my friends because he was cooler than me. And then he went bald sooner than me and I laughed and then I went bald. <laughs> don't compete. It's not good for you. And it meant that I don't have a great relationship with my brothers because they still view me as competition and they get sad because I'm married and have children and have a house and a job. And so they, then, when they visited me one time, they were like, it's very difficult for them. It's very difficult for them. My mum took me aside. It's very difficult for them to visit you because you're married and you have children, you have a job, and you have a house. I was like, that's not my fault. Why couldn't they just enjoy me and my family and my house? No, they wanted to compete. So it's a very difficult scenario. And I've said it before, I also had a job where the head teacher wanted to compete with all the other schools. So he wanted his school to be excellent. And so, as part of that, he followed me around and told me the things I wasn't doing very well. It's my first year in teaching. He was like, you're not very good at this. Followed me around at break duty, not very good at that. Came in to register, not very good at that. Looked for all my books, not very good at that. And it beat me down to the floor. I was so low, because all I was told the whole time, because he wanted everything to be brilliant, what he did was call out the things that weren't brilliant, never any of the good things. Don't worry, I'm preaching from a, a wound, not a scar. I'm okay. <laughs> so what happens when we have a world without encouragement? What happens when we have a world of competition, of criticism? What happens? Well, the science says, in the face of negative events, our brains struggle to perform at their highest or even normal capacity. Our prefrontal cortex... Um, the brain's executive center is pushed aside when we're faced with constant criticism and competition so the amygdala can take over and prepare the body for crisis. When we're competing, when we're criticized, when we're negative, all we get is the amygdala, the, the not as sensible brain part. And it's not great. And in the same way that positive emotions uh, work um, well in our lives, negative emotions like fear and anxiety and stress and anger, they narrow our focus, they inhibit our concentration and decrease our cognitive abilities. When we're feeling upbeat and happy, we're more likely to be inclusive, um, and less likely to be self-centered, and we're likely to perform better in all of our life. So, basically, the world without encouragement is a sad and lonely place. Moving on. <laughs> what does God say? What does God say? Well, the great thing is we have a holy trinity of excellent encouragements, an 
excellent encouragers. One of my favorite ones is in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. This is God encouraging Jesus. And it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And in that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw a spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And you might think, do you know what? Yeah, of course God would say that to Jesus. He was the perfect human. He did everything right. But at this point in Jesus' life, we, don't, we have almost no record of what he did. For all we know, he could have just been an average carpenter at this point in his life. He didn't do any of the turning water into the wine. He didn't do any of the public ministry. He wasn't preaching. He wasn't teaching. He wasn't healing people. He was just getting baptized. That's all he did. And what does God say to him? You are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. At the start of his ministry, before he's done anything else, God says to him, you are my son who I love. With you I'm well pleased. It's a lovely encouragement. We were reading it with uh, Ezra the other day in the Bible and he went, that's me. And I was like, what a lovely reflection on the scripture. Yeah, it is you. It's you. It's all of you. You might feel useless. You might feel like you've not done anything in your life. You might feel, you know, that you need some encouragement. Well, here's your encouragement. God is looking at you and he's saying, you are my child who I love with you. I am well pleased. So that's God. And we've got Jesus, and Jesus uh, is a great encourager. There are many, many examples of him encouraging. I recommend reading them in the Bible. But here is my favorite one. It is with Peter, um, or as I like to call him, the me of the Bible, because he basically constantly puts his foot in it and gets things wrong all of the time. And I love it, because it's me. Um, and he says to Peter, uh, I would say a particularly low point, I tell you, Peter... You are Peter. So he was called Simon. He's called him Peter, which Peter means rock. And he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. That's truth. Peter was basically involved in the foundation of the church movement as we know it. But at this point in time, he just kept going around doing silly things. He stepped out of the boat trying to walk on water, and then he gave up on his faith and started to sink. Jesus was like, arrest me. I will go to the cross for all of your sins. And Peter was like, I've got a sword. Chop. He constantly made the wrong decision, and that's why I love him so much, because what does Jesus say to him? He doesn't say to him, you're a liability. You need to do some more safeguarding training. He said to him, you are Peter, because your name will be Rock, and you'll be the rock on which I build my church. I've kind of very... um, swerved my way through scripture there. Peter does do lots of very good things, and he is a great guy, but I feel feel for him in those moments where he does the wrong thing, and I see what Jesus says to him. It's a massive encouragement speaking into his life and into his future. So that's Jesus, and then we've got the Holy Spirit. One of the words used for the Holy Spirit is translated as advocate in our Bibles, but it's the Greek word parakletos, 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 which has a variety of translations. Um, Comforter, helper, um, encourager. It also means to come alongside. 
Um, and so we are told in the New Testament that um, we will have this advocate with us. Um, that's the Holy Spirit. So basically, the Holy Spirit's job is uh, a comforter, a helper, someone who will come alongside us, an encourager. The Holy Spirit is seen as a companion, an advocate, who provides us with encouragement, guidance, strength, and someone to journey along with. So, what does the Bible say? Well, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are gifted encouragers. So, I think we should do it. I think we should be encouraging as a church. I want to look. What does it? I want to land with what? What does it look like? Well, what does encouragement look like without encouragement? So, growing up in that environment that I grew up in. Um, it, it shaped me to be the way I am. You talk to me about love languages. What's my number one love language? Words of affirmation. I love it. I love it when people say nice things to me. I love it when people say nice things to me. And do you know why I love it? Because I just never got it. Never got it. All I got was, you're an idiot. Or, I'm going to beat you at sports. Never got it. And so I grew up desperate. Desperate for affirmation grew up desperate for affirmation. I had no encouragement in my life. But do you know what? We have a God of encouragement. And in God, I found encouragement. In God, I found guidance. In God, I found strength. In God, I found that all those things it says in the Bible were true. In God, I found all of those promises. And do you know what? God is so great at working in our hurt and turning it for good. Because you, I still appreciate you, nice words, don't worry. But I no longer have that hole of feeling like desperate for it. But instead, what I do is I love to encourage people, knowing my identity in Christ, knowing Jesus, having a relationship with him has formed my life from this place of emptiness and competitiveness to like one of my favorite things to do is to encourage people. I do it all of the time. I also do get frustrated and shout at my own children. Don't worry, I'm not perfect. But God has gifted in me the ability to call out the good things that people are doing, to encourage people in the roles they have, to see things in people and say, do you know what, you'd be really good at this. And so that's what I long for the church. That's what I long for this church for it to be a place where people are met with encouragement. People are met and reassured that they have an identity. They have a purpose. They have the spirit to be with them and guide them through all of the process. So, that's the theory. Let's get intensely practical. And I've got you a lovely acronym I know you all love acronyms. It's SPA. Yeah, that's right. You heard it right. SPA. Catchy. So, how do we encourage people? First one S. Show support and love. Let people know 
that you are there for them. One of the things, most common lines I say in, in ministry is, if you ever need me, just get in touch. Show people that you are there, that you care about them and their faith journey. Next S, share personal experiences. I mean, I get the opportunity to do it all the time from up here to tell you what I've lived through, but do it with each other. If someone's struggling, they might need someone to say, do you know what, this has happened to me and this is how I got through it and you'll be okay at the end of it and let me help you. Sharing stories about your own faith uh, has strengthened and encouraged the church throughout history. Another one is basically an advertisement for groups still. I still think you can check in with groups if you've not yet. Study the Bible together. Most of the groups in some way, shape or form will be looking at the Bible um, and it's the number one way to hear from God and so encourage people to study the Bible together, read the Bible together and talk about it together. And then we're on to the PA, coming into land, pray together. The Holy Spirit is uh, great to invite into this place, but you also, outside of this place, are still able to pray for people, still able to encourage people, still able to ask God to do things in the lives of people. And finally, attend. It's very simple, but we believe this place is a place where you can gather and be encouraged. This place, even if it's just with a nice hot coffee and a brioche, we want to encourage you in this place. And so bring people along. Bring people along. There's so many, such a variety of knowledge in this building. Um, bring people along to be encouraged. So, encouragement. What does it look like? It looks like supporting people and loving them. Helping people to grow and strengthen in their faith, in their hope, in their trust in God. It promotes well-being and the flourishing of others. It builds up the body of Christ. It makes this place a better place to be, but it also makes Grimsby a better place to be. It's affirming, it's comforting, it's uplifting. It's reminding people of their worth and value in the eyes of God. So, I think we should do it. <laughs> let's be a church of encouragement. Let's build patterns into our life where we make sure we encourage people.